Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hello everybody, how you doing? Where you been? Do you drink enough water? Congratulations on not killing yourself, guys. Life is tough. I'm Christina Hutchinson. Welcome to The Voices in Our Heads. I'm honored to be the voice in your little cute little noggin. You okay? What are you going to do, right? Um, Before we get into it, uh, I want to plug some things. At the top of the show, one of them is my Patreon. I have a Patreon where four times a month I host over Zoom weekly group therapy. I call it therapy because it's not therapy because I'm not a licensed therapist. However, I've been doing guys we fucked for 11 plus years and I've read a lot of self-help books because I have my own dark night of the soul and where I wanted to die for like a year straight. That's why I say congrats on not killing yourself. And uh, I know some things. And so every week uh, I host uh, a group discussion uh, where people can unload, you know? You feel like dying today? Talk about it. Is your neighbor being a cunt? Tell me about it. Let's go. And I ask questions. And the audio from every um, Zoom goes up on the Patreon. So if you can't make it, you can listen to it. And I think that's a pretty good deal. Patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson is where you go to sign up for that. And then also, I got some tour dates. New York City, November 2nd. Is that a, what day is that? Is that a fucking Thursday? Oh my God, it is. I was right because I'm psychic. Uh, my boyfriend, yes, I have a boyfriend, um, is performing a show for his album release. And the opener is going to be a comedian and it's going to be fucking me. Okay? So I'm going to rag on him. I'm going to make fun of him to his face. He's a good sport because he's a guy. Um, and it's going to be great. So you could see me perform and be funny and go, ha, ha, ha. And then you could see him sing and go, that's so beautiful. All in one night, November 2nd. It's going to be a drum. Um, tickets for that. I'm going to put the link in my Instagram bio. But if I forget by the time you hear this, at Colin Smith Music, uh, it's definitely in his bio. And then Chicago, Illinois, November 10th and 11th at Zany's. I'm headlining. And then the next day, I'm getting on a plane to Tennessee going to Nashville to perform at Zany's Sunday, November 12th. Tickets for those dates are definitely in my link tree bio. So you can like definitely go there. It's at Christina Hutch. You click it and then you can look at my pictures and you can go, eh, and then you can tell me that you did that. And then I can block you. Um, I had a, I took an Uber here. I was going to take a bike. Cause I was like, what a gorgeous day. But I mean, the, New York in the fall, you can't beat it. I guess Vermont in the fall is probably better, but, um, New York in the fall is pretty great. And, uh, I was, I was going to bike and then I was like, nah, I had coffee. I had my cup of coffee. I'm like, where am I going to fucking put this on the bike? Do you know how many times I've taken coffee on a bike and then spilled it all over myself? Cause I thought I could get away with it. So, um, so yeah, I took an Uber here and I like talking to the Uber drivers. It doesn't happen a lot in New York. Cause we're all like, fuck you. I gotta go somewhere. Shut the fuck up. I gotta check my emails. This is 12 minutes of me working. Shut the fuck up. You know, but, um, you don't, yeah, you don't get a lot of talkers, uh, in the Ubers here, but this guy was so nice. He was so fucking nice. And he just starts chatting and I'm like, you're great. I love you. He told me he was a stealth security at Costco at a, at a Costco. And, um, he's seen some shit. And then I was talking about how I love Costco buying bulk. Is there a better, is there a better feeling than the safety of having a fully stocked fridge and, and pantry? And then you have all the toilet paper you're going to need for like six months. 
I love Costco. And he was telling me, he's like, he doesn't get a discount. Nobody who works at Costco gets a discount, which I'm like, mm, that's rude. But then he told me that the markup's only 10%, which is unheard of in retail. Uh, those were his words. And then he went on to tell me that he had a life-changing moment um, last year when he was listening to a podcast while he was doing security. Because um, it's fine. He wasn't, he wasn't sleeping on the job. But um, about ADHD, and he discovered he had it. And he's like, I would have lived the rest of my life thinking I was an idiot, but he's very smart and he reads a lot of books and he's a big fan of science. And we just had a great conversation. Um, and it's like, you never know. Talk to your Uber driver. I will say the days that I'm feeling like angry, when I'm sad, it's more like angry. And then there's a sadness that comes out, but it's anger is at the core of that for me. Uh, a lot of times a conversation with a stranger will just fucking pick me back up. And I'm like, you know what? Life is beautiful. Sorry. Sorry. I thought it wasn't for a second. Um, that's fun. But I will say life is beautiful for some people. It's not for others. Uh, and boy, oh boy, if you're a person in the world today, you can't go on social media or the news apps without being bombarded by some shitty shit fuckerson news, you know? And I've been noticing a lot of diehard opinions where the person posting the opinion about who you, whose side you should be on, Israel or Palestine. And I'm like, you got, and they're so certain that if you don't think what they think, you're a piece of shit. And we got to stop. There, there's too much of that right now with this war. And I'm um, like, we're never going to get anywhere if you have that steadfast. You have to be curious and you have to be open-minded and you have to get the facts, especially because the news reports shit and sometimes it's not true. And that fucking sucks. And you can't trust it. So um, a couple people, not not that many, but a couple, have had DM'd me and asked me, like, why haven't you said anything? First of all, what the... What? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to spout bullshit into the ether and think that I'm contributing to this conversation when I don't have something good to say. Right. So I've been, I've been lying back and lying low and I've just been observing. And that's why I've been taking in all these people's very extreme opinions on polar opposite sides, kind of 50, 50, um, which is a little jarring. And, um, the only thing I have to say that I think could add to the conversation or could add to the way you think about this stuff is that, especially for the people that have diehard opinions, you know, hold on, <clears throat> cough break. <clears throat> especially for the people that have really steadfast, like if you are not pro-Israel, don't book me, don't represent me, don't talk to me. And it's like, okay, that stance is not going to work. You can't get anywhere with that. I would just like to say, to remind you that the other side that you think is the devil, all of them, all of them, whatever, whoever side you don't like, Please keep this in mind. They have a favorite song. They poop. They go to sleep at night. They have probably fallen in love before. They are human beings. And I think that the thing that's missing that I have not seen as much of is the humanization of the other side. This whole bullshit of the fear the other, it's got to go. Can we just can we just stop? Like it's been happening since the beginning of time and it's never been a good attitude to have ever, ever, ever. And, uh, it's not going to work. So I really wish, I wish I could give everybody who fights in the military for any country, they should be required to take a therapeutic dose of MDMA. I really think they should, because then they'll realize that war is dumb and they won't want to fight, which is probably why that doesn't happen. 
Um, yeah, it's some fucking bullshit. It's very stressful. And if you're if you're listening to this and you have family being affected or you're directly affected, holy shit, dude. I'm so sorry that that's happening. This is it's very stressful. And I also would like to remind everybody that don't be glued to the news because you don't have to be. And I think it's important to be informed, but my God, you got to have a balance. Like go, go outside and look at a flower at least once a day, you know, and meditate, like close your eyes, just do it for one minute. If it freaks you out, it's probably because the bad thoughts come in when you're silent and that's a clue, but, uh, just have, have some calm moments in your day, you know? Um, so I just wanted to say that war, war fucking blows and it's so sad. And I, I hate, I hate being a Pisces ass bitch, you know, because I'm so f- affected by everything. It's exhausting. I don't like it. You know, it's not fun, but it's, it's not going to change. So what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Put walls up? No. And, um, yeah, so you, you just have to, you have to shield yourself from taking in horrible information throughout your day. You just got to and go, go, go play Candy Crush on your phone. Go get a scratch off lotto ticket. Maybe you'll win a million dollars. Anybody can win. You know, you just can't, you got to try. Um, even though the lottery is a scam, but I do play it because if anybody can win, I can win, you know, and I think I'm going to one day. Um, as much as I think the word herstory is condescending and I hate it, it's never been used to describe anything violent. You know, you never hear of like a lady going in and murdering her whole family and like, Ooh, another mark in the herstory book. Like, you know, it's, but history, his story, Hmm. His story is often described, describes violent acts like war. War is all history, not herstory. Because where are the women telling people to kill other people? Now, I do believe that women, you know, have historically have not been given the same opportunities as men. And now we're finally getting the same opportunities as men. And you're seeing women become CEO of a company, for example, or becoming uh, president of a country and then fucking shit up and being corrupt. And that's why, like, the definition that we say on Guys We Fucked of Feminism is women can be pieces of shit, too. Just give us the chance. You know, give us the opportunity to be a piece of shit like you. But I don't know that a woman would wage wars like that. Although I will say women can be pretty, pretty brutal. But it's more like we'll cut you with our words in in a really unique, artful way. And maybe that would replace war. You know, just a bunch of insults that really get you, that really make you question who you are, that really poke at your secret insecurities that you didn't think anybody else knew knew about. all right, let's let's talk about silly stuff because I can't. I don't want to talk about that anymore. It's so stressful. <laughs> it's so stressful, and everyone's so mad. It's. I feel like I'm at home, and my parents are just screaming at each other. And I'm like, this is never going to end. I can't wait to turn 18 and get the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> and then you grow up, and you enter life, and you realize that that shit's not going away anywhere you go. And then you're like, I need to figure out how to enjoy my time here. And so you smoke a lot of weed. You know, you smoke a lot of weed. Love weed. Love a vape. Vape, vape's a game changer because <laughs> you smoke weed anywhere. My favorite place to vape is airport bathrooms because you can't vape on the airplane because somebody clued me into the fact that they do have smoke detectors in the air, uh, the airplane bathrooms. Obviously, have smoke detectors on an airplane everywhere, right? But these detectors detect vape smoke. And I was like, I'm so glad you told me that because I have almost vaped in an airplane bathroom a couple times. And I was like, just wait till you land, you know? But I almost did. And then um, two flights ago, I, a lady was in the bathroom and uh, I heard the flight attendant go, 
she's vaping in the bathroom to another flight attendant. And I was like, oh, busted, bitch. That sucks. I wish I would have told you that they detect vapes. I, I want to put a little sticker because all my vapors, weed or nicotine, it's like, I got you. You know, like I want you to, you got to vape sometimes. The, war, the world's a crazy place. Um, I, I want to do stickers in the airplane bathrooms where I'm like, don't girl, don't vape in here because they'll catch you. And it's like a felony. And so she came out of the bathroom and the, <laughs> the flight attendant was like, were you vaping in there? And she was like, no. And I was like, girl, you got, you suck at lying. You're like me, you suck at lying. And she goes, well, our smoke detectors, um, detect vaporized smoke. And, um, it went off when you were in the bathroom and she goes, oh, I, Oh, and she tried to be like, oh, what? Who would do that? I'm like, and she goes, you do, it's a felony. You do know you could be like arrested or fined or whatever. And I'm like, oh man. And she, the flight attendant, I'm like, just let, just, she vaped. Just like, let it go. She did eventually let it go. But boy, that woman who vaped in the bathroom, I saw the, the light drain from her eyes when she thought she was going to get carried away by a bunch of fucking marshals when the plane landed. So FYI guys, don't vape in an airplane bathroom. It's not good. Uh, all right. Oh my God. I got to do something silly because the world is stressful and we're all dying. There's a video. I have a new like inside joke. Um, with my boyfriend, but that we, we, I, I, people say like, I hate when someone talks about their boyfriend and girlfriend all the time, but I'm like, when you basically live together, that's who you hang out with most of the time. You get stories. Sorry. Um, but there is a video, Zach Galifianakis, God bless him. He has a series that I'm sure you know about. It's called Between Two Ferns where he does interviews. They're so fucking funny. This man is so fucking funny. He interviewed Amy Adams, who is such a good actress. I love her. Um, and he made Amy recite these lines in her acting voice, like, like these really silly lines very dramatically. And um, there was one where she read and the line was, don't you ever fart on my tits again. <laughs> and the way she said it was so funny. It was, so, there was so much conviction in how she said it. And, and, and we were trying to figure out like, how do we say that line that way? The way Amy Adams said it in between two ferns was at Galifianakis. Like, I'm going to try it. <clears throat> it's just such a dumb sentence, you know? Don't you ever ever fart on my tits again. Yeah, this, that wasn't good. I think, that, I think the key emotion there is grief. You have to have grief in your voice when you say it. Michael, have you ever acted? Uh, yeah, I'm actually a trained actor. Are you shitting me? No. Whoa. Fucking left that on the table until now. What the <laughs> fuck? Wait, where'd you go to school? Well, I didn't, I didn't go to like a, like a conservatory or anything, but I studied at the Freeman Studio. Wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. Okay. So can you look into your camera and give me, the emotion is grief. Mm -hmm. Don't you ever fart on my tits again is the line whenever you're ready. Nice. I mean, I wish I had more time. I'd go through my 10 points. You ah, know, fuck but. that. It's one line. <clears throat> Don't you ever fart. On my tits again. <laughs> that was terrible. Was it bad? <laughs> that was like a, a third grade play of like, hey, mister, I, grief. Like, like you have just gotten your heart trampled on 
by someone who farted on your tits, maybe. I mean, that's your backseat. Your backstory is your business and your your artistic choice. But like, <clears throat> wait, I'm going to go and then you go. Okay. <clears throat> Don't you ever fart on my tits again. That wasn't bad. Here's the thing, though. I think a man and a woman would say it differently. Okay. All right. I respect that creative that choice. Is, that's my, that is my choice as an actor. I do think that you, I think a man would be more forceful. And I think that mm, a woman. Because he would doesn't be want more, the fart on the tits. Yeah. You know. Mate, perhaps. Can you give me one that's a little more internal and, and the underlying emotion is heartache? Is heartache. Heartache. Like, oh, you've been dragged through the mud. <clears throat> <laughs> you took me out of it. Sorry. <laughs> my, my bad. Hold on. Don't you ever fart on my tits again. Okay. Okay, conservatory doing their thing. Wow, like that one? Wow, wow, wow. Yes, yes. That was great. There you go. Smaller is better, you know, especially for the camera. Uh, and voice acting, too. Like, mm. it's these little... These little feelings that come out in your inflection, you know? <laughs> Don't you ever fart on my tits again. There you go. That might have been the best one, I think. Thank you. See, this is the thing. See, this is why you, you rehearse, think. too. You 100%. also, you know what I mean? You can't gotta get it, can't get it 100%. Go. So, so guys, you know, it, here's a little fun little exercise that you could do with a friend. Exercise, it's more an exercise than like nothing matters and have more of a sense of humor. Say, see who can do it the best. Don't you ever fart on my tits again. Who could say it with the most conviction? You know, it's a fun party game. It's a fun fucking party game. Don't you ever fart on my tits again. Um, baby on board stickers, guys. I don't, why are we, why are we doing that? Why are we, why? I'm not going to not hit your car because there's a baby in there. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm really perplexed about these. I'm seeing them a lot. And maybe it's because you waited so long for a baby and you're like, I have to protect it by letting everybody know that I have a baby, um, which I get, you know, I, I, I can, I can understand, but um it just makes me not like you. Like, I'm just, oh, can we not? Oh, oh, okay. Now I won't rear-end you. Now when I'm pummeling towards you at 50 miles an hour and my brakes stopped working because I'm driving a car that got recalled, but I didn't hear about it because I stopped listening to the news and checking my emails, so I didn't know. As I'm hurling towards your car, if there's a baby on board sticker, I'm not going to go, oh, I should really try to figure out how to turn around. It's not gonna, it's not going to do much. So if anybody listening out there has a baby on board sticker, tell, can you tell me why? Like what, genuinely, why? Did your, maybe, maybe a family member gave it to you for Christmas when they found out you're pregnant and that, and you're like, I guess she's on, on Edna's going to yell at me if I don't have it on. I understand that one, but I, you know, I really, I, I'm on a mission to understand why everybody does everything. And, um, that one is really perplexing. I can't, I can't come up with a reason why, why? Like, uh, no one's going to treat you differently because there's a baby on board. Or will they? I won't. I mean, I'm not going to hit a car unless you really piss me off and I'm in a Mustang. But um, I don't know. I just I just don't I don't get it. But I want to get it. See, I like I like focusing on aspects of human behavior that don't really matter, like and don't contribute to world peace. They're just like perplexing. Um, so you tell me baby on board stickers. Why? You know, why are you doing that? Um, oh yeah, we're not having, (laughs) 
I, it's nice that people are not having kids these days because they think they should. I'm sure there's still a giant chunk of people that have kids because they're like, it's what we do because we're leaving Kentucky. <laughs> Sorry, I know you're not all dumb um, and it's a stereotype and it's hack, but I went there. Um, but it got me thinking, okay, so people aren't like forcing themselves to have kids because of societal expectations. That's awesome. But then what do you do? Just kind of wait around until you want a kid? Because I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Whatever. It's going to be over for you bitches once I get health insurance. Also, I don't want to give up weed for a kid. And some people have pregnancies and they're not good. They'd be vomiting all the time. I don't want to do that. Um, Yeah, I'm going to get health insurance soon. I think that you can only sign up for it in November and December. Right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Good. Because that's an. Ex- it's around this time of year, at least. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. I haven't looked it up exactly. I've just told myself that that's the case, so that I can keep holding off on it, um, because it's the principle. I can afford health insurance. I'm lucky. I can afford it, but it's like six hundred dollars a month, and fuck you. You know, I don't like Western medicine. I don't like the way doctors treat people. Not all doctors. Some doctors are really nice. But I don't, there's a lot of horror stories. And then you just, oh, get, put a pill on it. Put a pill in it. Oh, you got a headache? Here's a pill. Oh, you're sad? It's a pill. But it's like, no, that's not, a pill's a Band-Aid. Anyway, um, and I have a really, I, I hate, I hate that America has enough money to give everybody health insurance and we just fucking don't. And so last year when I was going to sign up, um, I got too frustrated. And then I called the people and I was like, which ones, what, what do these mean? What do these words mean? Like, what do these options mean, Aetna? What? I fucking hate you. And I got so mad, I hung up and I gave up. But once I do get health insurance, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to get health insurance and I'm going to go to a chiropractor. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm going to go to a chiropractor, get some adjustments. And I'm going to go to an OBGYN. Because I had a pregnancy. Well, not a scare, but well, kind of. Yeah, I guess. The test said yes. The test said positive. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And then it said negative. So I'm I'm not. But I'm like, ugh. Can you get health insurance? Like, can you find out you're pregnant and then go, oh, I need health insurance, and then pretend you're not? Is pregnancy a pre, pre-existing condition? I mean, it's America, so I wouldn't fucking be surprised if they said yes. Um, so yeah, I gotta get health insurance and uh, go to all these. I'm gonna go to a. I'm gonna go to a. I'm gonna go to a fucking cardiologist. I I don't. My heart's fine, I think, but maybe it's not. I'm just gonna get all these tests. I'm so excited to get health insurance. Um, all right, guys. You know what time it is. It's time for some fuckboy theater. Oh, man. I think it was a queen in a past life because this music really gets me going. Guys, if you have screenshots of your atrocious dating app conversations or atrocious dating profiles, dating app profiles, DM them to me on Instagram. It's at Christina Hutch, spelled K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A, Hutch. That's spelled normal. Um, Because, you know, I will say, when people say, be glad you're in a relationship, it's rough out here. My response to you is, I am. (laughs) I am? That sucks. Sorry. I, I don't envy you. Um, okay. 
This is a conversation, this is a text conversation uh, between a woman who's probably perfect and some shithead named Robert. And um, <laughs> and it's after they matched on a dating app and then they were talking and then it kind of fell off and they were talking and it fell off. And um, and you know what? You be the judge. Uh, if if you see, maybe you maybe you agree with this guy and you don't think it's a fuck boy. I, you tell me. You tell me. All right. <clears throat> Ready? Let me get in the zone. Score the script for the beats. Let's go. Hey, sorry I've been MIA the last couple days. I didn't get home till 7 a.m. on Sunday, and the past few days at work have been hectic. Don't hate me. You're already explaining too much. And then he says, Hey, it's normal with online dating. I wouldn't worry too much about it. And then she says, I still think it'd be fun to meet sometime soon if you're still up for it. Um, yeah, maybe. I will let you know if I'm up to something this weekend. Okay, well, it sounds like you aren't interested anymore. I'll be honest, at this point, I'm unsure if you are a troll or not. And I'm a very busy person. My time is valuable. Although I used the time to do some work and took some needed time off on Monday because of it. So at this point, if you're still interested in meeting me, that's great. But I'm not going to be much of a texter, especially since I'm extremely busy this week. I'm sure to you that sounded like a fair thing to tell me. Love this sentence. But what I got was that you don't think my time is valuable and that I'm just hanging around trying to fuck guys over. So all of that to say, go ahead and lose my number. And scene. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I got to be a fan acting. And now a word from our sponsors. Is that a good pause? Yeah. Cool. Guys, Oprah's amazing. Oprah's amazing. You got to listen to her Masterclass podcast. This woman has a wild, wild story. She has a Masterclass podcast where she interviews like, you know, luminaries of all kinds. And uh, she's such a great interviewer. Oh my God. She's such a great interviewer. And, um, but she did two episodes Oprah part one, Oprah part two. It's a masterclass about her story because her the whole theme of the masterclass podcast is like your life is a story that we can learn from, which I'm like, I know, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Everybody's life experience. People be saying you're not special or whatever. But if you think about it, every moment of your life and every every opinion you have, every action you take, your your taste in movies and art and friends, it is all a culmination of every second of your life from the moment you exited your mother's body until right this very second where you're spewing your opinion or choosing your friend or fucking that guy. Every second of your life contributes to why you do what you do. And if you, if you think about it that way, we are all unique. We are all little snowflakes. And I don't mean that in the pussy liber- liberal sense. I mean it in... Um, the unique sense. We are all very unique. And I, and I think there's so much to learn about people's stories. That's why I like this page, the Patreon thing that I do. Cause I'm like, what, especially if I'll come in with a bad mood, I'm like, can you just tell me what you're going through? Because I don't want to think about my thing. And then it gives you a perspective and you get invested. Anyway, people's stories are so valuable. And, uh, Oprah's story. I knew she had an amazing story and she like kind of rose up against these circumstances that a lot of people would just cave under but her story is really interesting and really good. And the way that 
this woman, like some people are, are, they're born on the planet and then just skyrocket like Beyonce. Beyonce was born and then she just fucking, you just knew you're like that. She's going to be huge. I'm sure her parents knew that from when she was very, very little because she's been performing since that, you know, that young. And uh, Oprah was the same way, just, but she was born into shitty circumstances, uh, unlike Beyonce. And because I saw Beyonce's childhood home and I'm like, you family had at least some money. And uh, so that's good for Beyonce. But uh, Oprah really had to come out of a lot of shit, a lot of sexual assault when she was younger. Uh, her parents, her mom leaving her, her dad leaving her, like just a lot of adults in her life not giving her the nurturing she needs. And then she fucking worked at a local radio station and then she moved her way up and she was working in Chicago and they all loved her because of the questions she asked. And you're like, wow, that's... So you can be born into a set of circumstances that absolutely blow and then say fuck that noise. I'm going to be me and rise to the top and be Oprah. I mean, it's, you got You got to listen to the um, masterclass episode starring her. It's Oprah part one and Oprah part two. This woman is fucking amazing. Uh, also, I know that I'm releasing this episode. Uh, I'm recording it on a Thursday and then I'm releasing it on the Monday. So this is a more up-to-date episode, obviously, because I was talking about, you know, that thing over there happening on the other side of the, glo- the globe. That's extremely stressful and um, a lot of bloodshed. And so, I don't know if this part was in an episode that I released yet, but I had my eyebrows microbladed. I was on a two year waiting list with this. And I didn't say the name of the woman because um, there was a point where my eyebrows, it didn't look, it wasn't looking good. Like I, my, I asked my mom to wax my eyebrows when I was in the eighth grade. She has tremors. That means her hands shake. And she basically like waxed my eyebrows off. And I had two crooked lightning bolts fighting each other on my head for most of my life. And it's bothered me. every second of my existence ever since then. So my makeup artist friend, Aya, shout out, um, said, oh, this woman has a company. She, she does, has a business where she just does microblading or, uh, you know, is her main thing. And you should go get a consultation. And I did. And she, uh, she fucking crushed it. And I was like, okay, cool. Sign me up. And she's like, well, there's a two year waiting list. I'm like, God damn it, Taryn. Okay, sign me up on that. And then I never got called. So I was like, I guess, I guess no eyebrows for this bitch. But uh, and if you don't know, microblading is, it's basically tattooing eyebrows onto your face. And so I finally got an appointment. She microbladed them. She t- so she tattooed and you scrape, you scrape the eyebrow with, a, with, a, with, with the ink in a knife, basically. I'm sure there's official words for those things. Uh, I do not know them. And I remember at the end of the session, she really went to town. Whew, it hurt, but whatever, what are you going to do? I'd rather look better and go through the pain. The life of a woman. <laughs> but afterwards, she gave me the spiel of how to take care of them. And she said, she goes, I, I need you to know that they're going to look darker and thicker than they're actually going to be. So over the next couple of days, she told me this is what's going to happen. They're going to flake. They're going to do all this. They're gonna, and I heard, I could feel the throngs of women calling her post-microblading appointment, just screaming at her like, this is not what I asked for in her voice as she told me these instructions. She was telling me these so carefully and so like she needed to make sure I understood that I will have caterpillars on my face for just a little bit, but they're going to go away, okay? And she gave me this card with pictures of a lady during each phase of the eyebrow thing. (laughs) And I just felt the, the women yelling at her and screaming at her 
because they didn't really listen when she was giving that spiel. They were just so excited to like not have crooked lightning bolts uh, fighting each other on their forehead. And uh, I felt that. So I was like, thank you so much for, for explaining that very clearly. Got it. Because if I have a heads up and then shit goes awry, but I have a heads up, I can handle it. If shit goes awry and I don't have a heads up, I crumble. I crumble and I cry. I weep, really. And so I really appreciated that heads up. And uh, and then the next couple of days, it was doing the things that she said. They didn't look great. And I was like, oh, God. But then they started flaking. And the eyebrow, I saw like the hair, some hairs on my eyebrows were coming off with the flakes. And I was like, uh-oh, that's not good. You know, that's, that's I don't have many eyebrow hairs. And they are falling off. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm going to be like, I'm going to look like powder at the end of this. Powder was... Uh, he had no hair. He had alopecia, I think. Is that where you have no hair? Whatever. He had no hair. Um, and I was, I was, I was like, okay. I, I know she gave the speech. I didn't call her office. I wasn't like, what's happening? But I'm like, is the eyebrow? I don't think the eyebrow hair is supposed to fall off because I don't have many. Anyway, I'm sorry I doubted you, Taryn, because they look fucking fantastic. Okay. And I want to uh, browse by Taryn. Is that her Instagram? I do want to give her a shout out. This woman is amazing. Her energy is amazing. I really like her. And so I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say her, the company name in case my eyebrows were all falling off. And I got it. I'm so sorry. I doubted you, Taryn. And I knew I, I heard it in your voice when you were giving me the aftercare instructions. I heard it in your voice when you, you just, I felt the women who cry calling you freaking the fuck out. And I felt you having the same conversation for years with these same people that their eyebrows are going to be okay. Uh, and you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, it's Taryn Browse, T-A-R-Y-N Browse is her Instagram handle. She's great. I mean, if you're in the business of getting your brows microbladed because you had an incident as a child because you just wanted to be pretty and you made you uglier uh, and your eyebrows, you know, they're big deal. You can have not that hot of a face and have really good eyebrows and your face is hot. That's how, that's the power of eyebrows. Uh, so thank you so much, Taryn. I love these brows. They're amazing. Um, and I could tell everybody I got a face tattoo. That's pretty fucking cool. Um, okay, so I want to read. How many minutes are we at, Michael? Uh, 33. Perfect. I was hoping around 30. Okay, because I want to read uh, most of this chapter. I am so excited to do my next deep dive into a self-help book. Because this is one we all need to fucking read. We've learned a lot in school. We learned how to sew. We learned how to do plus and minus and arithmetic and... Shit that we don't use today, um, but we were told we would. And then you become a stand-up comedian and you're like, I was fucking right. Isn't that funny? <laughs> One of the things I wish that they taught you in school or that parents taught you or somebody fucking taught you was how to apologize. An apology is an art, okay? And it's, and it's, it's a lost art. And I realize sometimes people apologize after doing something bad and it, it makes it worse, but you can't, you're like, why do I feel worse? You apologized, ah, but I hate you still. I don't like you. I don't want to talk to you. Why is that? You know? And so this book, I cannot recommend it enough. We're going to do a deep dive for the next couple of weeks into this book because uh, a, lot of, a lot of us suck at apologizing. I used to suck at apologizing um, and uh, I'm getting better at it. Um, but the book is called, Why Won't You Apologize? by Dr. Harriet Lerner. She is an incredible writer. I love it. Let, we're going to read some, some little chunks from chapter one. The many faces of I'm sorry. Okay. See if you can relate. What are you doing? You spreadsheets? What are you on a treadmill? What are you doing? You're on a bike? Get off the bike. 
I've been studying apologies and the men and women who can't give them, but probably mostly men, (laughs) for over two decades. Of course, you don't need to be an expert on the subject to recognize when a well-deserved apology is not forthcoming or when a bad apology flattens you. Oh, you ever have someone do something shitty and then they're like, I'm sorry you feel that way. And you're like, oh my God, why is that worse? And you can't pinpoint it. Well, this book tells you how to out people to their fucking face. Don't do it with that attitude, obviously, um, for their shitty apology. And she teaches you to recognize the elements of a bad apology. And I'm like, that's a tool that is going to be in my tool belt for the rest of my life. I'm sorry won't cut it if it's insincere. Nope, it sure won't, mom. A quick way to get out of a difficult conversation or followed by a justification or an excuse. Now I got to be honest. I did that a lot, but it's because of the way I was raised. It's not my fault, (laughs) but I got to fix it. And I'm trying. That's why I read this book. The healing power of a good apology is also immediately recognizable. When someone offers me a genuine apology, I feel relieved and soothed. It's not all we want. We just want to feel relieved and soothed. And what a nice thing to give somebody, you know, fucking apologize. Whatever anger and resentment I may still be harboring melts away. I also feel better when I offer an apology I know is due. Me too. Oh my God. I just want to die until I do it. I'm enormously grateful that I can repair the disconnection after having made a mistake or acted badly. Now that I've always been a, cha- uh, now that I've always been a champion apologizer. Oh, not. Oops. I misread it. Not that I've always been a champion apologizer. With my husband, Steve, for example, I like to apologize for exactly my share of the problem. I don't see anything wrong with that. As I calculated, of course, of course. And I expect him to apologize for his share as I calculated. It sounds good to me. Needless to say, we don't always do the same math. Yeah, because one's a girl, one's a boy. and We have different math levels. We're all apology challenged with certain people and in some situations. Some apologies are easier to offer than others. It's one thing to forget to return your neighbor's Tupperware. It's another to sleep with her husband. <laughs> yeah, those are two different apologies. Woo! Sorry, I stole your glad plastic Tupperware, Janet, versus sorry, I sorry I fucked Craig. My bad. I'm going to go. For a small insensitivity, a simple and heartfelt, I'm sorry, maybe all it takes, but not all of our insensitivities are simple. You're telling me. The challenge of an apology and reconciliation is a dance that occurs between at least two people. We are all, many times over, on both sides of the equation. Yeah, I know. Let's begin with the brief sorry sampler. Sorries that go from easy to medium, to hard. Yes, Harriet Lerner, guide me through this. Hold my hand. This is scary. The simplest I'm sorry. The simplest I'm sorry, the one easiest to offer is when nobody, it's nothing is anybody's fault. Right. I'm going to read that sentence again. The simplest I'm sorry, the one easiest to offer is when nothing is anybody's fault. We say these two words not as an apology, but rather as an empathetic response to another person's pain. I'm sorry you have to go through this ordeal or to a situation that has inconvenienced them. I'm sorry I'm late. An accident on the interstate tied up the traffic. Here, I'm sorry, recognizes that the other person was put out or going through a difficult time, and we want to communicate that we care. And I will say, if you, as you, as you think about saying that to somebody, like, I'm so sorry you're going through that. It's so easy. You know, it's so easy to say it. It feels good to say it. It's easy to say it because you didn't do nothing wrong. But when you did something wrong, 
Uh, I don't want to. I want to die. In many situations, saying I'm sorry requires relatively little effort. But the failure to extend it is not a small omission. Life is hard. That's <laughs> the understatement of the year. And even the briefest of interactions with strangers can brighten your day or haunt it. Yeah, like when my fucking Uber driver. Such a that brightened my fucking day. Hey. He's Ukrainian. He's not in New York. Uh, it's not that you're going to sink into a major depression because the woman in the grocery store nearly ran you down with her cart and rushed off without even looking up. I mean, unless you're me in a bad mood, you might assume that she failed to apologize because she didn't care or alternatively that she was too preoccupied or overcome with shame to make eye contact and speak. Whatever her reasons, it just doesn't feel good. And the not good feeling hangs on. Sometimes the failure of the other person to apologize when they should hits us harder than the deed they should fucking apologize for. I added the fucking part because I'm very excited about that sentence because I feel very strongly about that. When someone fucks you over and they don't even, you don't, they don't even say sorry. You just cry, cry, cry. And then you just, you go, your head goes on a hamster wheel that is not fun. It's a haunted house hamster wheel. It's not fun. It's not fun. So say, say you're sorry. And don't worry if you don't know how to say you're sorry, stay tuned for future episodes. Cause we're going to get into it. The long wait in the examining room. Oh, this is a good example. When the relationship matters, the failure to say I'm sorry can erode connection. Even when it's- All right. Pick it up. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. You watching baseball? No. Someone sent me a text that it made noise. I'm sorry. It's all linked up. The See, board is linked to the computer. Is linked to the- You know, Michael, I accept your apology. Sorry. I accept it. The long wait in the examining room. When the relationship matters, the failure to say I'm sorry can erode connection. God damn right. Even when it's clear both parties uh, to both parties that no one was responsible for behaving badly. You hear that? Consider my therapy client, Yolanda, who sat clothed in a skimpy hospital gown on a cold table in the examining room, waiting for her doctor, who was nearly an hour late. <sighs> this is why I don't like doctors. One of the many reasons. So my doctor finally appears, Yolanda tells me, obviously upset. And she says nothing, not even the simple apology. I felt like I wasn't even a person to her. And later I felt bad about myself for being so oversensitive. I mean, that's a fucking woman thing, man. <sighs> Questioning our, ourselves for being oversensitive is a common way that women in particular disqualify our legitimate anger and hurt. Thank you, Harriet. I appreciate that. If, you're, if you've hung out in medical examining rooms, you know that patients feel vulnerable. The fact that some of us feel more vulnerable than others in, in a particular context does not mean we are weak or lesser in any way. Thank you. Yolanda didn't take the long wait personally. She didn't suspect that her physician was hiding out playing video games or texting friends. Yolanda simply wanted to hear, I'm sorry you had to wait so long. My patient required more time than I had scheduled. Doesn't that feel nice? I'm not even Yolanda, and that feels nice. Thank you. The failure of a Yolanda's doctor to even comment on her lateness felt like a small crack in a relationship with someone on whom she profoundly depends. Her doctor, unless you're mean you don't have health insurance and you don't got to depend on no doctor. You just go to the herb store and go, well, this make me healthy. A simple I'm sorry would have allowed Yolanda to feel respected, cared for, and validated. And isn't that nice? You know, I think everybody deserves to feel respected and cared for and validated. And it doesn't take anything out of you, even though you might think it does because your dad said apologies are for pussies when you were a kid and you never forgot it and you felt like I'm not a weak bitch. 
but actually apologizing is for um is for pussies and that pussies are very strong and everyone's delivered out of a pussy or a c-section but still okay a medium difficult i'm sorry an apology is more difficult to offer when we do have something to apologize for and we regret our earlier behavior here even a short sweet and belated apology can sometimes matter a great deal Deborah, a therapy client of mine, missed her younger sister's wedding because it conflicted with a professional conference where she was presenting a paper. Oh, I love her examples because then I get like really fucking heated and I'm like, if that was Deborah, she fucked that bitch. The conference had been scheduled long before her sister Sky decided on her wedding date and Deborah was angry with her sister for expecting her to be there and for insisting that the date she chose to marry was the only one that worked. But on the day of the wedding, Deborah felt awful about the choice she made and wished she were with her family at such an important time. Though they moved on, the incident rankled both of them. At first, Deborah had no intention of apologizing to Skye. For one thing, she thought Skye should offer her an apology. Oh, that's a fun Mexican standoff, huh? There was no excuse, Deborah told me, for announcing the wedding date as a done deal rather than factoring in Deborah's schedule into the equation. Later, after feeling like she had made a colossal mistake in choosing to be at the conference, Deborah didn't want to reopen the issue for a different reason. Apologizing, she believed, would only amplify the issue and make them both feel worse. I mean, unless you say like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, that'll make you feel worse. Years later, in a flash of sudden affection for her sister, Deborah spontaneously sent Skye an email that said, I never told you how bad I felt about missing your wedding and how sorry I am about my decision. The day I was giving my paper at that conference, I kept thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I have no explanation or excuse for making such a stupid decision. That felt good. Did that feel nice? Clearly I've been wronged. I'm like, what a a nice apology. That's so nice and clear. Her sister wrote back, yeah, Deb, you were a real asshole. Smiley face. Ah, that's a good sister. Email is generally not a good way to offer an apology. In this case, however, Deborah told me how everything felt lighter between them after this exchange. Humor, baby. It's like some bit of trust or closeness had been restored that I didn't even know was missing. Jumping off the high dive, the toughest apologies. Hmm. 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 I know a few people who did that. Uh, I can take great, it can take great courage to open a conversation and apologize for something we wish we had handled differently in the past. Perhaps we don't want to be intrusive or we're concerned about how our apology will be received and what would happen next. If the other person hasn't brought the subject up, we may assume that we shouldn't either. That's usually my go-to. But as Margaret's story illustrates, it's best to leave open the possibility of talking about our earlier behavior that we now regret. Margaret has a daughter, Eleanor, a single mother whose second child, Christian, died when she was 16, uh, when he was 16 days old, having never left the hospital. That's a bummer. Margaret had been helpful in practical ways, taking care of Eleanor's three-year-old son and keeping up the household during the two weeks Eleanor practically lived in the hospital. Oh, this is, this is such a good example because fucking family, man, I don't care how healthy your family is. Every family is toxic, okay? Every family is toxic in their own little way. Some are more toxic than others, but we're all, all family dynamics are a little bit toxic. Okay. And sometimes you really get into a Mexican standoff with your family of all people. Um, and you just wait for the other person to apologize and they never will. And the other thing with family is they can do shit that so deeply hurts you that other people are not capable of doing. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of, it's a fucking, 
It's a kerfuffle. All right. So Margaret, Margaret's daughter, Eleanor, Eleanor, uh, has one son who has just died in the hospital and the other son that Margaret is watching. Just to recap, here we go. This is some deep family shit. Margaret was absent, however, at the emotional level. In true British fashion, she had a no mess, no fuss attitude towards life's difficulties and a long cultural tradition of don't fret, plot on. Oh yeah, because all the Brits say keep calm and carry on. I always thought that was a good phrase, but then someone pointed out that it's like, doesn't give you a chance to grieve. And I'm like, Yeah, I guess that's true. She loved her daughter enormously, but she didn't want Eleanor to get bogged down in grief. She also wanted to avoid her own deep sorrow. Ah, we don't often consider that when motherfuckers don't apologize. Sometimes they're avoiding their own feelings about the situation, which still sucks. But fix it. Get this book and fix it. God, she uh, she also wanted to avoid her own deep sorrow out of her wish to protect both Eleanor and herself. Margaret failed to express her pain or inquire how her daughter was doing with this profound loss. The few times she saw Eleanor crying or depressed, she said things like, your son needs you. Be strong for him. A decade later, Margaret's coworker and friend, Jorge, had a son who was a stillborn. Oh, so sad. His loss understandably brought up Margaret's own buried feelings of her grief about her grandson, Christian, and the life he never had. When she observed the tremendous outpouring of love that Jorge received and the open-hearted way that he embraced the caring that surrounded him, it shifted something in Margaret. She asked herself for the first time if she had done well by her daughter in the way she had responded to Christian's tragic death. It's heavy stuff, guys. Soon after, soon thereafter, a newspaper article about untimely loss appeared on the front page of their local paper. Much to her own surprise, Margaret revved up her courage to ask Eleanor if she'd read the piece. She also told her that she thought about Christian all the time. Margaret went on to say that she regretted never talking about her feelings because she didn't know what to say and was afraid of making Eleanor feel worse. She said she was sorry that she had not made a a space for them to talk about something so important, the saddest thing that had ever happened in their lives. Eleanor's initial response was predictable. There's nothing you could have done, she said flatly. It wasn't something you could fix. Don't worry about it. Eleanor was very much her mother's daughter. Often the most interesting part of an apology is what happens later. Neither brought up the subject again, but Margaret told me that after the initial awkwardness passed, She felt better about having spoken up. Months later, as the anniversary of Christian's death was approaching, Margaret felt the desire to bring flowers to Christian's grave. She hadn't been there since the funeral. She casually mentioned this to Eleanor, who matter-of-factly replied that she planned to make the trip and they could go together if Margaret wanted a ride. Only on the ride to the cemetery did Margaret learn that Eleanor had been to the grave's side twice a year for the past 10 years. As they stood by Christian's small gravestone, Margaret suddenly started sobbing. This surge of emotion took her totally by surprise because she had never cried about Christian's death and hardly ever about anything else. Wow, we are opposite people. Girl, I cry every day. Most unexpected still, Eleanor put her arms around her mother and they cried together. Oh, that's really nice. In Margaret's case, her apology felt like a great risk. She had been raised in a family where cheerfulness was one of the few permissible emotions and competence and independence defined as not needing anybody, which is bullshit, were next to godliness. Her apology required her to share vulnerability and take a big leap into the unknown. She had no role model from her past to look to as a guide. So pioneering a new path required great courage on her part. 
Now I want to read a little bit from chapter two because I want to go through this whole book basically, but just a little bit each chapter, okay? This book is so good. Ready? This chapter is called Five Ways to Ruin an Apology. (laughs) My mom, my mom, my mom, my mom, my mom. Many well-intentioned folks want to apologize and genuinely don't know how. That's true because ain't nobody teach you how. They've said I'm sorry and don't understand why the hurt party doesn't soften up. I hate that. Recognizing the most common ingredients of a failed apology will lay the groundwork for knowing how to offer a successful one. And I'm adding this part on my own, how to fucking call people out for the bullshit ass, fake ass, dumbass apologies. An effective apology involves more than saying the right words and avoiding the wrong ones, but it also helps to know the difference. Let's start with bad apologies 101. Five ways I'm sorry can go south. Raising our butt consciousness. (laughs) But it's butt with one T. That's funny. More than anything, the hurt party wants to hear an apology that is heartfelt. When but, this is very important, when but is tagged onto an apology, it undoes the sincerity. Okay? I repeat, when but is tagged onto an apology, it undoes all the sincerity. Take that acting school. Watch out for this sneaky little add-on. Sneaky little bitch. Uh, It almost always signals an excuse or cancels out the original message. Thank you. It doesn't matter if the statement you make after the but is true. It makes the apology false. Okay? Stop saying, I'm sorry, but. And I got to say, I've said, I've did that a lot. I used to do that all the time because I didn't want to be wrong because if I was wrong, that means I wasn't perfect. And if I wasn't perfect, I mean, I didn't deserve love, but guess what? I do deserve love. So I'm not tagging butts onto my apologies anymore. I'm just saying sorry and allowing myself to exist in my flaws. (laughs) It doesn't matter if the statement you make after the butt is true. It makes the apology false. Okay. Consider my friend Dolores, who was irritated that her younger sister didn't lift a finger at their family reunion when everybody else was pitching in. What a cunt, huh? At one point, Dolores felt a rush of anger and criticized her sister in front of family members. Now you're both being cunts. You're not the guest of honor at this party, Dolores barked. Would it really kill you to load the dishwasher? See, that's not how you get things done. No surprise that her feedback didn't go over well. Her sister walked away and they avoided each other for the remainder of the gathering. Dolores felt badly. A few days after returning home, she called her sister to apologize for being out of line. Less nice. I apologize for the way I confronted you, but I have a very hard time with you not pulling your weight. It reminds me of how I did all the chores growing up and mom always let you get away with doing nothing because she hated fighting with you. I apologize for being rude, but someone had to tell you how to act. Mm, Fuck you, Dolores, okay? Thank you. That's not an apology, I noted when Dolores complained that her sister didn't respond positively. Thank See, we need therapists that are honest. You can't be unconditionally on your client's side because what if your client's being a cunt? You got to let them know because it's not helpful if you don't let them know. They're just going to be a cunt. Understandably, it was incredibly difficult for Dolores to offer a genuine apology for her rudeness when she carried so much anger and resentment from the past. That's a good point. But I imagine her sister might have felt insulted all over again. Embedded in Dolores's apology was the implication that not only had her sister acted like a a spoiled brat at the reunion, but she had occupied this role her entire life. Yeah, so you can't come at somebody with that. And someone had to tell you how to act is an obvious dig. 
Perhaps Dolores's sister would have been more open to accepting the apology if Dolores had simply said she was terribly sorry for being rude and out of line. Rather than ramping up her sister's level of defensiveness, a simple apology might have provided her sister with the space to consider her own behavior at the reunion. Dolores's intentions were good. I wanted to give my sister some background as to why I overreacted. And I got to say, as I said earlier, I've used the I'm sorry, but a lot. And the times that I have, which is most times, it is because I wanted to explain where I was coming from. And I'm a, I'm, I am overexplain things, which is apparently in trauma response. So, like, it's not my fault, but I have to fix it. It's my fault. I got it's my responsibility to fix it. I'm trying. Um, but I, when I use the but, it is so. So, if somebody's apologizing, they say blah, blah, blah. But perhaps they just are trying to explain where they're coming from. However, it's still fucked up. Uh, I wanted to explain uh, some background as to why I overreacted, she told me. I wanted her to know that my reaction to her not pulling her weight has a long history. Now, I was reading this initially and I was like, well, that's fair. That's fucking fair. Fine, but that's a different conversation and one that Dolores might open with good measure uh, of timing and tact. See, that's true. See, we got to be mature. The best apologies are short and don't go on to include explanations that run the risk of undoing them. Christina. Okay. An apology isn't the only chance you ever get to address the underlying issue. That's a good point. The apology is the chance you get to establish the ground for future communication. I love that. I love that phrase. Love that. Love that wording. Because then it makes you sound like, wow, I'm excited because there's a chance to repair this. Like an apology is not, it's not a one and done, you know? This is an important and often overlooked distinction. And then the last thing I'm going to read, the last little section, it's a little tiny one. I'm sorry you feel that way. You know what? I'm sorry for. Fuck you. That's what I'm sorry for. I hate when people say that. And I I mean, I'm sure I've said that in my life. I, there's no way I haven't. But I have always hated when people say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh, so now you're sorry for my feelings that no one should apologize for because my feelings were because you were a piece of shit. So you're sorry that I feel mad that you were a piece of shit? I'm sorry you feel that way is another common pseudo apology. A true apology keeps the focus on your actions. You hear that, mom? And not on the other person's response. Consider my recent crazy making experience with a guy named Leon. Leon was in charge of promotion for an organization that had invited me to a lecture. Oh, this example. I was listening to this example and I was like, oh, I would have fucking lost my shit. The organization had an old photo of me taken about 20 years ago. So I sent Leon a new one that was up to date. Please use this one. I said when I showed up at the event, I wanted to resemble myself. Right, exactly. Uh, Maybe it was a careless mistake or maybe Leon thought a younger looking presenter would draw a bigger audience, but he posted the wrong photo online. And then again, even after I pointed out his mistake in the printed material. Our final conversation went like this. Oh, I would have been pissed. This fucking conversation really gets me. Me. What happened? You posted the photo from two decades ago online. After we talked about this mistake, you used the same photo in the brochure. Yeah, what the fuck, Leon? Leon. I used the photo that came up in my computer. I can't pay attention to every detail. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Okay. I didn't think you were perfect, Leon. I didn't think that. Me, this isn't about perfection. I just want to use a recent photo. Leon, I'm sorry that the photo is so important to you. 
I don't think that the participants are as involved as you are in how you look. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Leon. Go fuck yourself. Uh, the point is that I asked you to use the photo I supplied. Leon, okay, I apologize. I'm sorry that you're feeling so upset about your photo. I didn't know this was such a sensitive issue for you. <laughs> Leon. Leon was not a genuine apologizer. Yeah, no shit. Fuck you, Leon. He tried to make me the problem. Yeah, he did try to make you the problem. I'm so glad this book points that out because I always felt that when someone did pull that shit with me, but I couldn't quite articulate what was actually happening. So I was like, guess it's my fault because I'm a piece of shit. He tried to make me the problem implying my pickiness uh, or vanity was at fault, not his failure to abide by our agreement. If he were my therapy client, I would simply have brought up my objective and curious eye to the interesting way that he muddled reality to avoid taking responsibility for a simple error. <laughs> since I'm not his client, uh, since I'm not his therapist, Leon's combination of disrespect, incompetence, and defensiveness infuriated me. Me too. I would have much preferred that Leon not apologize at all, since he evidently didn't care, wasn't sorry, and never uh, corrected the online error and then blamed me for making a big deal out of what he considered to be nothing. Now, here's the thing, guys. I One of my triggers is people get mad at me for something I didn't do because of childhood. <laughs> and uh, when someone gets mad at me for something I didn't do, I take the defense, like the the, res- the soldiers in reserve in my mind that like come up there. I, I all defenses unlock, all the guns come out, emotional guns. And I get so steadfast on defending and like, but no, well, I, I didn't do, I, you, you, and then I look fucking guilty. So that's why I like this book because it gives me the tools without losing my shit. Okay. Or perhaps he knew full well he's done wrong, but didn't want to take responsibility for it. Whatever Leon's experience, a false blame reverse apology is worse than no apology because it repeats and deepens the insensitivity. Okay. A lot of people should read this book. This should be required reading for everybody because when you get hurt, when your feelings get hurt, you're not being a pussy-ass bitch. And someone might tell you, oh, so you're just being a pussy-ass bitch? That's gaslighting, okay? And now, ever since I learned what that word meant, I'll never let anybody gaslight me again. Fucking, I dare you to try to gaslight me. I got my fucking gaslight sensors on and they are very good at detecting your bullshit. Um, so yeah, that's our first deep dive into why won't you apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts by Harriet Lerner, PhD. Highly recommend it. And we're going to dive more into it in the coming weeks, guys. Hey, thanks for letting me be the voice in your head. Congratulations on uh, taking your own life and surviving life on Earth thus far. It's crazy. And I really wish that an alien spaceship would come down and hover over a major city for about 20 minutes so we all get videos of it. And then we could go, oh shit, aliens are real. What does that mean? And then we can all unite against how aliens are real and not be at war with each other. I know it's far-fetched, but it's I believe it could happen. So come on, aliens. We're ready because we don't know how to behave and we're dumb pieces of shit a lot of the time and we're killing people and you're smarter than us, I'm pretty sure. And maybe you can save us, you know, or let's give everybody a therapeutic dose of MDMA. One of those two things. I don't know that there will be any wars after that. I really don't. Okay. So thanks for listening to my podcast. I'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you.